morning, everybody. How we doing? Yeah, it's so y'all. Every it's so gray right now. Like, is this just like it feels like it's an evening service right now? With just the is anybody else ready for springtime and summertime? We had I I feel it. I feel it. I we had that. Was it Friday? It was like seventy degrees in the in the evening. And I had a I had my I had a moment. I had my dad moment. You know where um, the kids that we'd been playing outside and there was stuff just thrown all all over the front yard and uh, everybody had gone in and I think we were getting ready for dinner or something and I I told Kirby, I was like, I'm just going to go out front. Our front yard gets direct sunlight. Um, And so I was like, I'm going to go out front for a few minutes and just be alone out there, okay? And I sat down in this beach chair that we dragged some lawn chairs out into the the yard. I sat down, I had a glass of water and uh, and I was like, this is all, I, I, did, I felt the sun on my skin for the first time in however long. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is the thing. This is the thing that I need right now. Neighbors were walking by and looking at me and stuff. And I was just like, look, this is, it's a, you, you don't, don't judge. You should do the same thing. Pull a chair up. Join me out here. It's good. Um, I'm feeling it. You guys feeling it? With the January came for us this month and our family. Everyone, all the humans in our house have been sick for like two weeks. I was out last week, um, but uh, Justin's word, you're going to make it through. He's talking about marriages. I'm just thinking about life right now. We're going we're gonna to make it across to the other side. Um, feeling good. All right. I'm trying to just bring a little sunshine because there's no, no real stuff out there. All right. We're, uh, hey, we're continuing our series that we've been in since uh, the beginning of 2024, and that is our God is series. We've been talking about the different ways that God um, orients himself towards you, interacts with you in your life. Um, And uh, this week, we're going to be talking about the fact that God is after you. God is after you. I've got a picture I want to show you. Um, They can throw it up on the screen. This is something that took place a couple weeks ago. This is me taking my oldest daughter, Lalia, she's four years old, to a daddy-daughter dance. It's a princess dance. They gave her the tiara is it Tiara or Tiara? I feel, always feel self-conscious when I say the word because I actually realize I don't know how to say it. Um, they gave her that when, when we came in. And I don't know who that guy is behind us, but it was just the best picture I had. But it's a daddy-daughter dance. This is our first time we've ever done anything like this. And she, all week long, she just kept saying, we're going to get married this weekend, right? That's what's happening. She was thinking it was a wedding. And so we, we had ordered this dress for her. She's like, I'm going to put on my blue dress and we're going to get married, right? That's what we're doing. And I was like, yeah, baby, we're getting married. We're getting married, me and you, this weekend. And so we, we did the whole to-do. I have my suit on. And we went out. We rode in a horse-drawn carriage. They just had those out there out in front of the place before we went in. It was like 10 degrees outside. It was freezing. And we went in. And, and we danced, and they had Disney princesses out, like, dancing with all the little girls. And so she was maybe, once we got inside, it was all about Mary and Daddy for all week long. But once we got inside and there were princesses present, it was about 30% about the daddy-daughter experience and then 70% dancing with Disney princesses. Um, and so she now knows that Elsa and Anna live in the city, which she tells us that a lot. Do you know they live in the city? Um, so that's an exciting thing. Um, I, I was so excited to get to do this, and I have another daughter, Waverly, who's two, who will be old enough to do stuff like this soonish. And I don't know, it just—it it was such a sweet time because I, um, first of all, she's my daughter's getting old enough that we can like do stuff together and, and interact, and it's actually it's fun, you know. But also, um, I just really want her to know how deeply loved she is. I want her to know that her daddy loves her so much. I want her, I want her to form 
memories. I want her earliest memories of her life to be uh, memories that that f- are foundational of the reality that she is deeply, deeply loved. And um, and this is a this is an expression of really my pursuit of her and for the sake of our ongoing relationship and for the sake of her knowing how deeply I love her. Today we're talking about the fact that God is after you. God is after you. The way I want to say it is this, uh, God is passionately pursuing you in love so that you might know you're loved. He is passionately pursuing you with love, and I'll say it this way, with love and nothing but love. And there's all sorts of other things that maybe we fear that God is pursuing us with if he is pursuing us, right? And, and, and so many of us and so many people in the world, if they, if they uh, have not utterly rejected the idea of the existence of a God, might, might, their, their idea of him at least might be colored by, is he angry with me? Is he condemning me? Is he judging me? And what I want to tell you today is God is actively, passionately pursuing you with love and nothing else. We're going to read Psalm 139 this morning. It's going to be with us on the screen. I'm going to turn there in my Bible too. Psalm 139. It's a Psalm of David. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Let me, let me stop there. You've searched me and you know me. And he says, you know all the different things about me. You know my tendencies. You know my ways. You know how I act. You know God, God knows you better than you know yourself, right? You uh, he knows who you are deeply and on the inside, and he knows your behaviors. He knows your your rhythms. He knows your habits. And sometimes we have rhythms and habits and things that we don't even realize that we do. Like like, and marriage will will reveal this to you. Anybody who's been married for a little while, you'll start to learn some things about yourself that you didn't know uh, existed. Like the other day, Kirby pointed out, she said, "You know, your toes never stop moving, never." And I I was like, you know. I think you're right about that. And I, I suddenly started recounting all the years of my life and, and remembering like, yeah, I'm kind of always just wiggling my toes like that. You know, I remember laying in bed as a kid and just kind of like wiggling my toes. Somebody's going to diagnose that while I'm standing here on stage. Probably ADHD, but who knows? Uh, but she was like, we're, we're sitting there on the couch doing something and, and I had, you know, my legs crossed and I was just sort of, so just like wiggling. She's like, your toes have never stopped moving for the 16 years that we've been married. Your toes move constantly. And so this is, you know, uh, God knows, he knows the idiosyncrasies. He knows the little details of your life. Like David says, you know, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. You know how I'm going to react in that situation. You know how I'm going to feel when this thing is said. You know how I'm going to, whether or not I'm going to enjoy this meal that we're having on Saturday because this thing, this ingredient is going to be included. You know, God knows. He knows everything. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your, uh, your greatest successes. 
He knows your deepest failures. He knows your hopes. He knows your dreams. He knows your fears. And uh, the language being used here, it, it could be scary language. Most of us are uncomfortable with being fully, deeply, utterly known. The light shined completely on us. It, that makes, it, it's, it's, it, to me, it brings up the picture of like an interrogation room, right? It's uncomfortable to have the light shining in your eyes and directly on you. Before words on my tongue, you, you know, you know what I'm going to say. Not that you don't have a choice in what you say, but he just knows the way you tend, tend to react. You hem me in, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. You hem me in behind and before. This is like military language, right? You hem me in behind and before. There's nowhere I, I can't escape from you. Another translation would say that you are, in some of these verses we've read, you're intimately acquainted. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So he, he's saying, I'm, I'm so fully, utterly known, and now you've hemmed me in. I'm trapped. I can't get away from you. Where can I go from your spirit? Verse 7, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will, will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Where can I go? Where can I flee from your presence, he says. I go up to the heavens. If I make my bed in the depths, if I make my bed in the depths, that, that word depths literally means sheol. It's like the Hebrew idea of the underworld or death or even the early concepts of hell, if I go to the lowest place, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, settle on the far side of the sea. If I make my plans to try to sneak away and escape you and sail to the other side of the ocean, he says, you find me there. You find me there. That, um, that phrase, make my bed in the depths, I've been thinking about that this week. And I wonder... Uh, and it's, it's interesting language that's being used, um, but, but so many people find themselves in, in bed in the depths, meaning like this is, to me, to, to make your bed, um, to me connotes the idea of like, this is it. This is my reality. I'm giving myself to this experience I'm having. I've made, made my bed in the depths, like this horrible thing that I'm going through. This is just my life. This experience I'm having, this relationship that is just utterly broken right now, this experience of, of how I'm personally experiencing my life, this depression or this anxiety, this debilitating inner thing that nobody knows about. I've made my bed here. This is, this is my reality. And so I'm just giving myself to it. He says, if I make my bed in the depths, declaring essentially, I'm alone, I'm without God, there's no one to help me. He says, even there, you're there. We make our bed in the depths. Um, 
by things that happen to us, circumstances where we find ourselves. Um, and maybe that's been, maybe that's your reality right now. Some of you might be in a circumstance where you're saying, I, for, for things outside of my control, I am in this situation and I can't see how things will change or get better. And to you, to the person experiencing that, God is saying, look, first of all, I'm just going to, this is just Rob for a minute. Hold off on what God's saying. First of all, circumstances change. Has anybody, has anybody seen some circumstances change in your life just because time went by and some things changed? This is a really important lesson. And the, the more you live life, the more you realize, oh, things, don't all, things actually just don't stay the same. In fact, you can bank on them changing more than you can bank on them staying the same. Would anybody say, yeah, I actually agree with that. Like, and sometimes that's for better or for worse, right? And so there is great wisdom actually in whatever is defining your life right now. The phrase, this too shall pass, is a powerful phrase to have in your pocket for yourself. And it goes both ways though. So here you go. So if you're going through something really difficult, a, re- a hard relationship, a hard financial situation, a bad job, a, a boss that you don't like, a, I don't know, whatever, whatever's not working for you in your life, this too shall pass brings perspective that like, oh, okay, this isn't, um, this isn't my life forever. I don't have to have the mindset that I'm making my bed in this situation. I'm taking a nap in this situation. I'm here for it's, but, but to realize everything that we experience is actually temporary. Everything is temporary. And, and it, ta- it takes just living some life. And now that I'm uh, the wise age of 39, I can say that, okay? Now that I'm, I'm finally old enough and I've lived enough life that I can speak with great authority and wisdom. And I'm just kidding. I, I, what, I, what I do know is that 10 years ago, I didn't have that perspective. 10 years ago, the things that were happening in my life felt eternal and felt like this is how it's always gonna be. And so with a little bit of time, and I think it, that, that perspective just increases, that wisdom increases the more you live because the more opportunity you have to see, things change, things change. We're in a crazy phase right now with our youngest kid uh, regarding anything at nighttime. So like just, just bedtime, waking up in the middle of the night, like it's a, it is a crazy phase and the most powerful word that I keep using around this situation is phase. It's a phase. It's a phase. Look, it's really difficult. And part of the craziness of the phase is she only wants mama in the middle of the night. Um, like we, me and her are cool. Waverly, me and her, she's my girl. We're cool during the day. But at nighttime, she sees me and it's like, ah, like it just doesn't, it's, it's not happening. So she wants mom, she wants mom in the middle of the night. And so, and all I can do is just, you know, get another milk and, you know, pray and try, I stay awake the whole time that Kirby's in her room. Not really. Um, it's a, it's, it's a phase. It's a really challenging phase. And anyone with young kids? that's here or watching online today, whatever hard thing you're going through is a phase. It's a phase. And it is crazy with our oldest. I took her to a daddy-daughter dance a couple weeks ago. And it's like, man, that we wouldn't have been able to do that two years ago. Um, and man, there's going to be a day where, where we don't do that anymore. Um, the week that she was born, the week that my, my oldest was born, 
I felt, I, I really did feel like God spoke to me. And I, I don't stand on the stage often and say, this is what God said. But I really do feel like God spoke to me and said, don't wish the years away. Don't wish the years away. Don't wish the years away. Because we were coming out of the hospital. We were coming off of a week in NICU. We were coming off of no sleep and living in no sleep land. And, and it's easy to go, oh, I can't wait until she's one. I really can't wait until, uh, I can't wait till we're out of this phase. And I felt like God said, don't wish the years away. Don't wish them away. Don't wish them away. This is it. And this too shall pass. Um, so with the, with the hard stuff, this too shall pass. And with the good stuff, this too shall pass, which becomes a, a, a really sobering thought. You, it might all be going really well for you right now. You might be in your dream job. You might be in the honeymoon phase of a relationship. You might be, the, the finances might be popping finally for the first time. You might find yourself comfortable Comfort, if you've been grinding or struggling in life for any period of time and you start to find yourself in a comfortable place, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Anybody ever been like, man, am I, I like, I, I, I don't even know how to, I don't know how to get comfortable in a comfortable spot. I'm a little scared that it could all disappear on me. But you know what? This too shall pass. That doesn't mean things are going to, that the good things are going to be taken from you. But it's all, it's all a phase. Okay, I've spent a long time on this idea. But it's important stuff. Are you making your bed in the depths? Are you making your bed in the dark places? Are you making your bed in the hard place? Are you saying, are you declaring to yourself, this is my reality, this is my life, this is my eternal experience? How do you make your, de- your bed in the depths in Sheol? And other ways that we make our bed in the depths is, is we, through just, without any other way of saying it, through deliberate sin, Right when we find ourselves just kind of stuck in some sort of habitual behavior or thinking, or addictive behavior or thinking, and we we find ourselves making our bed in the depths, making our bed, choosing over and over again um, the low place, the dark place, even the the, the thing we don't want to do, the place we don't, the thing we don't want to think, the the. But then we find ourselves in that place over and over again, and the word of God for us in that place is, I'm there. I'm actually there. I'm right there with you. And I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to shine light in this place and to reveal to you for the first time or yet again that you are deeply loved. You are pursued by God with love and nothing else. You with me? Yeah? Psalm 139 is powerful. We're going to keep going. Verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Do you all believe that? you believe that, that before you were born, God knew you and loved you? And even before you existed, your little personhood was being knit together with love and intention and all the days that you might live, that all that was a, a dream in God's heart before you ever breathed your first breath. Do you believe that? You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's room. Have you ever looked at, an, uh, ever seen an ultrasound video? 
of a, a baby in a womb. It's, a, it's crazy because you don't have to get too far into a pregnancy to go like, that's a baby. <laughs> like at first it's a cocktail shrimp. You know, the first time you see it on a, on a, uh, uh, an ultrasound, you're like, yeah, I see something, you know, some antennae, I believe little tiny, little crawly legs or something. But then, then you look at the screen and you go, that, that is a little child. And, um, it's incredible that, uh, Kirby and I, we actually just got to see that, uh, that screen again recently of an ultrasound. And what I'm telling you is that we are, we are 12 and a half weeks pregnant right now. <laughs> With a boy. Yeah. Um, and we know that this early because we did IVF again. We've done IVF for each of our kids. And the crazy thing about the magic of the science of IVF is you actually get to know the sex of the embryo. Um, before they transfer it. And so it's been a, it's, it's been a wild journey with each of our kids um, in pregnancy, but we did, a, we had one uh, transfer that we did of an embryo at the beginning of the fall that was unsuccessful, and that was really hard. Um, and then we had a, a second transfer later in the fall, and it was successful. So mid-2024, baby boy Capel coming in hot. We just got to make sure everybody's sleeping before. That's why this is such a relevant conversation because we're like, are we crazy? What are we thinking? But also we're going, and someone asked me recently, they were like, that's so great that you guys feel settled enough to have a third kid. That was their response. And I was like, well, no, we're just not getting any younger, actually. That's really, that is it. Not that we feel settled, not that we're confident. We're just, the years keep coming and they don't stop coming, says Smash Mouth. And this is a phase. This is only a phase. It's only a phase. I say as I rock myself. It's only a phase. No, we're so excited. Um, really, really excited. Really grateful. God's been really good to us. It's been so good. You created my inmost being. I have a son, and God is knitting him together right now in Kirby's womb. Currently. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your, your eyes, they saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. You have a footnote in your Bible um, for this verse, that uh, it also translates it, it, how amazing are your thoughts concerning me? How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. How vast, how amazing are your, your or precious are your thoughts concerning me? How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. God, David's saying, your thoughts for me, your thoughts about me are beyond number. The thoughts you have just about me, just about me, are, are more than the grains of sand on the shore. This is, this is true for me. Rob, it's true for me. I'm claiming that for myself. I'm owning that for myself. God, your thoughts for me outnumber the grains of sand on the shore. And I would encourage you to claim that for yourself as well because it's true. And sometimes we have to really 
grab a hold of a statement like this in order to believe it. God's thoughts for you outnumber the grains of sand on the shore. Beyond number, the amount of thoughts God has just concerning your life. So when you're tempted to feel alone, when you're tempted to feel forgotten, when you're tempted to feel unknown, when you're tempted to feel abandoned. We already talked about God with you earlier in this series. I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, but it's all connected, right? He's after you. He's pursuing you. He made you. He created you. He's never stopped thinking about you. And he wants you. He wants your heart. Then David says some intense stuff about his enemies. We'll skip that. I just don't feel like explaining it, so we're just going to skip it. Verse 23, search me. I got more stuff to say. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I love the bookends of this psalm, this passage, because he begins by saying, you've searched me and you know me. And then he ends by saying, search me and know me. And so it, it, he begins with, a, with just a, a confession of, I know you already know. And, it, but it's just a, like, God, it, it's sort of an interesting thing to know God knows everything about you. And God knows you intimately, he's intimately acquainted with all your ways. But if there's no relationship there, that just feels uncomfortable, right? But then he ends the psalm with, so search me and know me and lead me. It's a surrender. It's a volunteering of, of, okay, okay, look again. I don't want to be afraid of what you see. I don't want to be afraid of what you say. I want to walk. You know my ways already. I want to walk in your ways. Oh, God. How we doing? Checking in with you right now. We good? Let's, uh, let's go to Luke 15. There's another passage that's been on my heart around this idea. Um, this is uh, this is Jesus telling some parables. Luke is a great gospel of parables. If you're if you're looking just for some of that, the ways that D- Jesus explains the heart of God and the kingdom of God to his hearers. Uh, it says in verse one, now the tax collectors and sinners were all together around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, "This man welcomes sinners and eats with them." Notice there's two there's two categories of people present. There's the there's the the outsiders, the ones who would be considered uh, uh, like the non spiritual people, tax collectors and sinners, and and then there's the devout, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus is talking to both groups. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So it's that idea of like Jesus is, Jesus is going after this one person. Your thoughts for me outnumber the grains of sand. There's billions of people on the planet, but somehow God has more thoughts about you than you can possibly count, right? In the same way, he would leave 99 healthy, safe, devout sheep to go after your wayward heart in the open country to find you 
and you bring and bring you back to him. Then he goes on with another parable to make the same point. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't, doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I finally understand this parable uh, because uh, my AirPods keep disappearing on me. Anybody? I mean... The Find My app doesn't help when you know that they're in your house somewhere. Like I look on the, I'm like, maybe they'll tell me what room or whatever. I just look at the little blue dot is like on top of me. I'm like, yeah, I know the blue dot is here, but the AirPods are gone. And that's because Waverly, my two-year-old, I, I, I leave my phone, watch and all that stuff on the nightstand and, and AirPods. And she'll go in our bedroom, pick up the AirPods. And then they're just, it's an Easter egg hunt in the house. And they, but the thing is, they always turn up. They always show up. They'll turn up under a pillow in another room. They'll turn up in a shoe in the closet. Like she loves taking, like putting things in a little place, you know? And so the AirPods just end up going into a little place. And there's a feature where you can hit a button and it'll make a sound, but that doesn't work for some reason. I don't know. Like the, like the, the when you need it, when you need those features to work, they just, it just doesn't do it. So, um, I, but I get it now. So last time I found the AirPods, I did. I called my neighbors. <laughs> I was like, you, I found them. I used the AirPods to call them. Verse 11, Jesus continued, there's a man who had two sons, two groups of people listening, the devout and the sinful, quote, sinful. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, we know this moment. When he came to his senses, this is after you've made your bed in hell for long enough. Anybody? And then one day you go, why am I doing this? What am I doing? What am I doing? Anybody ever had that moment? What am I doing? When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, father, this is the speech he had rehearsed because he figured his father um, needed to be convinced to let him back into the house. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the devout ones, the ones who never strayed. The older son was in the field working. 
When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Look, or So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you've never, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But th- when this son of yours who's squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And you can stand with us. Genesis chapter 3, it says that um, God would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And there comes a, a moment when God comes to walk with Adam and Eve, and they're not there anymore. They're hiding because they have disobeyed God. And, and in their shame, they're hide, hiding from from him and God asks a question in Genesis 3 that reverberates throughout human history and echoes still today in every single one of our lives and in the life of every person that you'll ever meet. The question God asks Adam and Eve, he says, where are you? Where are you? And that question speaks to a physical Reality, right? Where are you? They're hiding in the bushes, right? And it speaks to a spiritual, a mental, emotional, psychological, philosophical reality. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Have you made your bed in hell? Have you made your bed in your bad situation, the circumstances you find yourself in? Have you made your bed in the fields of righteousness, the fields of your servanthood to God the Father? Where are you? Where are you? Because wherever you are today, God the Father has come and is walking in the garden, is walking in the cool of the day, and he is looking for you. So many of us, we're asking, where's God? Where's God? Where's God in this situation? Where's God in Gaza? Where's God in this situation in my life? Where's God in this relationship? Where's God in my finances? Where's God in the election year that's coming up? Where's God, right? And God comes to us and he says, where are you? Where are you? Because I'm here. I'm looking for you. I've come to you. I've come for you. And I'm pursuing you with love and nothing else. Because what I want, more than your good behavior, more than your right belief, more than your faithfulness, more than your service to the kingdom of God, what I want, God says, I want your heart. I want your heart. I want this. That's why I knit you together. That's my dream for you. All those years ago, and from eternity past, that's been my dream for you, is you and I communing as one, you fully defined by my love for you. And so 
That's the question for us today as we respond. Where are you? Where are you? And your response in this moment, let it, let it be appropriate based on the answer to that question. If you've been running from God and you know it, and this is a moment that you want to return to him, then let's respond by returning to him. If you've, if you've been wrapped up in your circumstances and situations so much that you can't even see God and his love and provision for you, then let your response be one of naming and acknowledging what you've been dealing with and confessing his goodness and his love for you. If everything in your life is pretty good and you feel pretty close to God right now, then you know what? You know what's a great appropriate response? Is just thank you. Thank you. You've been so good to me. So Lord, this, this morning we want to, um, we want to surrender to your love. We want to surrender to your pursuit of us. We want to receive the love you have for us and let it define our lives, our identities, our realities. Those dreams you have for us, those thoughts you have for us. Do you whisper those into our ears this morning? It's the, for many of us, the things, that, the thoughts we've been meditating on haven't been working for us.